Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like The hurricane in the story I'm about to tell was Andrew, so 1992. And the couple I'm about to tell you about um, is no longer living uh, this side of, um, you know, on this side of the divide between life and death. But years ago now. So I'm thinking that this was the Christmas of 1992, but it might have been the Christmas of 93. Anyway, prior to Christmas that year, I got an unusual card in the mail from this couple. It was a postcard, and it said, we've moved. And it was a picture of them. Um, The thing was, the house in the background of the photo and the address on the card were exactly the same. So they'd lived in South Florida for years at that point. They're smiling broadly in the photo, and they're holding these hand-lettered signs that read, yes, same house, same address, completely different life. Call us to find out more. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is the Faith Radio Network. So I called uh, these friends of mine. Um, And I'm like, okay, so this postcard is totally intriguing. You know, what do you mean you've moved? Well, they answered the phone with laughter and delight. Um, You could tell, um, like, I wasn't the first person that got the postcard and called them. They were totally ready. Um, And I wouldn't describe it as scripted, but I would definitely describe it as two people easily telling the same story, which is really, really cool when you think about it. So he started off and he said, Carmen, you're going to get this. Um... We're sure you're you're probably one of the people that's been praying for this, but God moved us. And they both kind of laughed, and then she repeated the line, God moved us. We've moved, and we're still moving. He's like, you know, yeah, it's same address, it's the same house, but we are totally different people. We have a different marriage. We have different priorities. Um, and then she added, we, you know, we're going to church. <laughs> so that's when they asked me if I had ever heard of a story that Jesus told about two builders. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, Jesus's parable of the two builders uh, is is familiar to you. But you know, when the story is new for somebody else, you have to let them tell it. So I resisted saying, of course I know the, the parable of the two builders. And instead I said, I, well, I would love to hear you. I'd love to hear it from you. And so they launched in. And he said, well, after the hurricane, We spent so much agonizing time with friends and family whose material lives were just washed away. Some of them um, handled it better than others, he said. Um, She said, there's this one couple that we've known for years, but obviously we didn't really know them. They seemed sad, but they weren't devastated like everybody else. They grieved, but they didn't seem like crushed. They'd lost everything, and yet they didn't seem to have lost everything. And his voice um, then picked up where hers trailed off. Uh, he said, one day, about a month after the storm, we saw them and they asked if we wanted to meet them just before sunset to take a walk on the beach. Now, let me tell you, nobody had been walking on the beach. Um, it was a little bit dangerous. There was a ton of stuff. Um, but 
over that course of that month, you know, a lot of that debris had either been cleaned up or had been washed away. Um, but it still seemed too soon for a lot of folks. Like you don't just go and walk on the beach when people need so much help. So many people hurting so deeply. But we, as a couple, had agreed to say yes every time we could to people who had lost everything. And this other couple had lost everything. We were blessed to have weathered the storm with little material loss. So he said, so we went. And then he said, we walked. And as we walked, our friend said, everyone wants a house on the beach, but sand is sand and it's not a great foundation. And that's when this couple who had sent me the postcard that said that they had moved and yet not moved in the traditional sense, um, that's when they heard for the very first time this story about these two builders. And so they retold it to me. (laughs) And if you know the parable of the two builders, then this is not going to be news to you. But it was news to them. And God used it to move them. So here it goes. This is the way they retold it to me. One build, two, two people wanted to build houses. There were two builders. One builder built his house right there on the sand. The other builder, you know, because everybody wants a house on the beach, considered building his house on the sand, but then he thought better of it. He knew that his house needed a firm foundation, so he drilled down until he found solid rock, and he anchored his house to that rock. And so what happened when the same storms of life beat against both of those houses? Well, what happened when the rains came and the water rose and the wind blew and beat against those houses? Well, we know what happened. We're standing right in front of it. We lived it. The house built on the sand was gone. The house anchored to the rock, beaten, but still standing. Our friend said, one collapsed, one withstood. That's when we realized we're standing in front of a stretch of the beach where Almost nothing remained. All of the original houses were gone, all but one. And that's when they shared with us this story was a parable told by Jesus. And they told us they'd been praying for us and they were worried that our seemingly very good life was ultimately a life built on sinking sand. Our physical house was fine, but the life that we had built, the things that we were pursuing, they told us they thought it was time for us to move. She jumped in and she said, God moved us, Carmen. God moved us right then and right there. God moved us. They gushed about what they were learning, how their marriage had been changed, how their life was transformed. He said, we even had a moving sale. We gave away much of the excess of our lives that we had accumulated over the years. They had also made a study of the parable that Jesus taught about the two builders. And from there, they had learned about a guy named Peter, who Jesus called the rock, and the confession upon which Jesus said he was going to build his church. And that's when they learned that God wanted to use them as living stones to build them together with other Christians. And that's when they started going to church, a building made of believing people built together in such a way that it would endure even through the assaults of the enemy. The gates of hell won't prevail against it, Jesus said. And then they said God had given them a life verse, which is why I'm telling you this story today, because the life verse my friends shared with me, I think the Christmas of 1992, is today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It comes from Psalm 18, verse 2. 
The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He is my Savior. My God is my rock on whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. They said, this is our life verse. We are building our life on the solid rock of Jesus. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety, Psalm 18, 2. And then they asked me if I knew a song. On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Now, at this point, I laughed, and I told them that, yes, I was familiar with the song, and we reveled together in the goodness and the grace of God. My friend, God is on the move. Is he seeking to move you? Is your life, your career, your marriage, your family, your retirement, your hobbies, your vacations, your vocation, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your parenting, your humor, your time, Is your life built on anything, anything other than Jesus? If so, even if that something is something good, if it's not God, then when the storms of life come, when the realities of life beat against you, and they will, you're going to find you've got nothing and nowhere protecting you, no rock, no fortress, no shield, no power, no place of safety. I offer up my friends today as a testimony They now live forever in the presence of the Lord in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever. Amen. Because they allowed God to move them at a particular point in time. And God became their rock and their fortress, their savior, the foundation of their life. Is God seeking to move you today? Our friend Jeff Bilbrow is going to join us in just a moment. We're going to talk about shopping Yep, that's right. We're going to talk about shopping. Do you buy and sell from your neighbors or are you increasingly like me shopping online? Hey, our friend Jeff Bilbro is back. He teaches at Grove City College. He also aggregates a really cool list called the Water Dipper at frontporchrepublic.com. We're going to draw today um, from the Water Dipper. Jeff, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Talk with us about keeping our money close. What is the problem and what is the solution? Yeah, I thought this was a thoughtful essay by by Jane Charles. She uh, admits, as many of us have experienced, right, that online shopping is really convenient and that oftentimes in-person shopping is, uh, you know, it takes time. It's crowded. Uh, it's not a, it's not frictionless. Um, but as she reflects on what's lost uh, when we just buy everything online, she really emphasizes the the human element of economic transactions that when we shop and buy from real people in our local communities, that provides an opportunity for bumping into neighbors, for um, talking with people there, and, and that our economic lives are not then totally separate from our community lives. And and rather than just saying, so, you know, go shop at your local Walmart as opposed to uh, Amazon, she really focuses on even more local opportunities like um, bartering or uh, kind of getting creative about where we spend our money and how we get our uh, our stuff. So on my street, um, because I now have like actual relatives living on my street – 
in, in, it's great. there's no there's no question that the frequency of questions like do you have a half a cup of walnuts or <laughs> do you have any cornmeal or I mean it's amazing right and I I've of course begun wondering you know I live on a street with a lot of people but why do those other people not call when they need something like that like what is it about the fact that we all you know as members of the same family are willing to reach out and say Hey, we just put on a pot of soup um, and there's going to be a lot of it. You guys want to come on down? Like, and so I'm this tenderized me, this this conversation, because it's not just about shopping. It is about figuring out how to share whatever abundance we have um, with people who live in proximity to us so that we can actually have reason to intersect with each other. Like, it's almost like we've got to create these these frictions, these point of friction, these points of contact where our life rubs up against the life of another person. And in a, um, you know, in a convenience era of online shopping and working from home, like there are just some people, they don't, they, they have no reason whatsoever to go out and intersect with anybody else. And that's damaging to our social fabric. Yeah, I think that's right. And you do a nice job of imagining how we can we can uh, invite others into the local networks that we have and try to be generous with those to include people who um, might uh, might not otherwise have much contact uh, in day-to-day life. So yeah, so things you'll like- you'll appreciate this. You'll appreciate yeah. this. We are, we, are, um, we are raising, you know, our own grass-fed beef, just two. But one of our kids was like, well, I want to buy one. So that meant we had three. And then we thought, <laughs> you know what? We ought to extend this beyond just, our family. And so we actually are raising a cow for one of our neighbors. And that has meant that we have had reason to intersect with them fairly frequently and get to know their little boys who come and love to feed the cows and are learning things about farming and then are obviously getting to know other members of our family. And it has made our street immediately a better place to live because like we're we're raising cows together. Like so I do think that you can find you can find things that you're already doing that you could extend to other people. Um, and and I don't know. I mean, I live on a farm, so maybe it's easier for us to have common cause with people around us. But um, but I think it's important to figure this out, to figure out how to actually increase the friction in our communities. Yeah, that's a great example. And as you say, it has all these knock-on benefits, right? It's not just that these people are buying a cow from you, but it's that now you're neighborliness with them has been enriched and deepened oh yeah no they uh yeah and when we go out of town we have people who have reason to want to feed the cows yeah you know and while they're here they can also feed the chickens and the dogs like right so it's like yeah it's a system of community care um that is now built in that didn't exist before you know we thought hey we're gonna be raising cows we might as well be raising a fourth and his name is Jeffrey and he's really cute. So there you go. And I'm not sure that you should give, I'm not sure you should give your cows human names. I just, that just, we used to call our cows things that were like cuts of meat. So, you know, we've had, um, uh, we've had, uh, well, we've had all kinds of cows. Um, but like tips was like, you know, beef tips yep. or Chuck for ground Chuck. But you know, this year the kids named all the cows. And so the cows pretty much all have, <clears throat> human names, which is going to be a problem <laughs> late in the summer. 
Um, hey, let's uh, let's take a very brief break. And when we come back, um, I really would love for you to talk with us about these spiritual dimensions of AI, the temptations of AI that exist, um, not just misinformation or deep fakes, but um, really this sense that there's a there's a darkness there that we need to be aware of. We're talking with our friend Jeff Bilbro. He has aggregated a number of things for us at FrontPorchRepublic.com in what's called the Water Dipper. For some of the direct links, you can just text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. I got some good news for you today. Jesus Christ is the good gift of God to each and every person. We heard the proclamation of Christmas, that there's this good news of great joy for all people. Well, guess what? That means you. Jesus is the good news. He is the gift of God given at Christmas. And maybe you're saying, I don't feel so good. I haven't really received this sense of good news. Well, we would invite you to wake up to the goodness of God with 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. It's Susie Larson's brand new book, Our friends over at W Publishing gave us a 100 copies for Christmas to give away to you. So we'd invite you to enter to win yours now at MyFaithRadio.com. Wake up to the goodness of God, 40 days toward healing and wholeness, because Jesus really is the good news and the great joy for all people. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Jeff Bilbro is with us from Grove City College and FrontPorchRepublic.com. Um, talk with us about um, this this observation um, about AI and the darkness that in which it exists. Yeah, Acacia Shut draws here on um, some of Paul Kingsnorth's writings about AI and the demonic, and I think he's pretty balance here is, you know, on the one hand, it's uh, where we always have uncertainty, right? It's not always clear what things are demonic and how the spiritual world intersects with the material world. But as Christians, we believe, uh, you know, that that ultimately uh, our battle is not with flesh and blood and that there are spiritual dimensions to to our lives. And uh, so I think Shut does a nice job of thinking through some of the ways in which AI and other digital technologies, but AI in particular might um, be in some ways participating in a kind of idolatrous and ultimately demonic project, even um, you know, if that's not what its creators or users are intending. And one of the things he does, which I think is helpful, is compares it to the Tower of Babel and sees similar motivations in the, the reasons for uh, constructing that tower in Genesis and the reasons for constructing these tools that um, give us power, give us protection, give us ease so that we don't have to exercise our difficult responsibilities as um, humans made in the image of God and accountable to God for how we um, exercise his dominion over creation. I thought it was really, um, first of all, it gives me a different kind of conversation to have about AI. Um, You know, this is not just about whether or not you're you're cheating um, when you are 
using AI in some way to accomplish some task where, you know, you might just say, well, it's just, you know, you just don't like it because you're old. Like, right. I, I do hear that from time to time. Like, you just don't like that. This is the new way that the kids are doing things. Um, and I want us to hit the pause button long enough to be able to evaluate all of the spaces and places where AI is already working and working in, in the darkness, working absolutely beneath our level of awareness. Um, the word lurking is one that comes up in this piece from time to time. And I, um, you know, where is AI lurking in in everything that I'm doing? Um, and again, not that I want to um, give AI a, I don't want to turn it into a person per se. Like I don't want nope. to anthropomorphize something that's not, but I also do not want to miss the moment that I'm living in and adapt to a technology without actually thinking about it. Um, I'm pretty sure that we did that in relationship to smartphones. I'm pretty sure that we moved into the smartphone world and even into the social media world. As Christians, we moved there really without taking time to talk about and analyze how it was going to potentially change us, change the church, change the culture. Um, and so, you know, as a Christian, like I, I want to be sober and I want to be looking at AI and I want to, and I, first of all, I want to be looking at it. I want to be looking for it. I want to be looking at it. I actually want to try to see it um, because it's clearly trying to not be seen. Yeah. And I think you're right to draw parallels there to the kind of mass adoption of social media and I'm not sure we want to go down that path again as a society. Um, you know, one of the things that Casey talks about in this essay is the ways that AI is so deceptive. It's very confident uh, and it can be used by people for intentional deceit or uh, in terms of deep fakes and such, or it can also just hallucinate. And, you know, even when we're trying to use it in good faith, it can still be deceptive and deceit. Um, is certainly part of Satan's identity, right? He's the father of lies. So a technology that is so ripe for sowing confusion and deceit seems um, yeah, seems particularly dangerous to just unleash on, uh, on a culture that's already struggling with the need to cultivate trust. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'm, I'm taking some notes. Um, I, I lifted up this, um, this final piece that you highlight. Um, you, your title is The Culture War Tearing American Environmentalism Apart. Um, and I want to talk about this because this is actually about zoning and a housing development in Minneapolis. And so we right. have a lot of listeners in the Twin Cities. And so I thought I would highlight this as, as well. What is Jerusalem uh, uh, Demsas? Demsas? Dem, Demsas? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, um, what, what is he talking about here? Yeah, I mean, it's an, these questions about zoning and housing, I think, are so fraught. And I think this essay does a nice job of acknowledging the real tensions that there's it's not it's a zero sum game in some ways. And there's no silver bullet. But, yeah, this group, uh, Smart Growth Minneapolis, is trying to prevent uh, housing from uh, taking over some natural spaces uh around minneapolis and in the in the area and just sort of having rampant development but then other people are saying well now this is like a nimby you know not in my backyard trying to prevent affordable housing we have people who need housing 
we need to make more housing, make housing more affordable, um, which is you know probably true. A lot of cities, uh, housing prices indicate a lot of cities need more housing. So figuring out how to uh, give people safe, healthy places to live, but also how to um, keep green spaces and make those places you know fit in with the natural ecosystem. This is going to be a, really, a real challenge for a lot of places. So I thought this article does a nice job of not simplifying the debate and trying to recognize that there are goods on both sides that we ought to uh, seek to preserve. All right, Jeff, um, what, what, are you, what are you working on right now? Just, you know, in general, what has your attention? I'm teaching a new class this semester on Christian environmental ethics, and oh. uh, it's, been, it's been pretty fun just to get started. So... Yeah, it's it's good to walk through some of these core theological issues with uh, a new group of students. Okay, maybe we should um, maybe we should do that with you. Okay. Sometime. Okay, let's do that. I uh, I you know I I like me a good um, a good syllabus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's Jeff Bilbro. He uh, is a professor at Grove City College. He also aggregates for us this incredible list at frontporchrepublic.com. It's called The Water Dipper. Um, you should check it out every week. You can also visit with Jeff online at jeffbilbro.com. Um, all right. So what in the world is going on in the world? I mean, there's headlines screaming at us from all over the place. Are there not? Um, our friend Ruth Kramer is going to join us next, and we're going to touch on some headlines from from you know Yemen and Finland, from Lebanon, uh, and even from what's going on with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Algeria. I am wondering this morning, like, where um, where does your heart go when we talk about the world, the globe? Um, do you have a particular country that's of interest to you? Maybe it's a place where you have family or friends. Maybe it's a place where there's a missionary that you support. Maybe it's just a place that God has put on your heart. I I just I would like to know that. So if you have a a country of particular concern to you, I'm thinking here um uh I'm thinking here about some listeners who um like Latvia, I'm thinking about Bob Castro. Like that's his that's his heart place, man. Like I every time every time we talk about something and he can make a connection to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Latvia. I hear about it on the text line. Um some of you have um particular countries of concern um, around the globe because you have members of your family who now live there or serve there. Um, And so I'd like to know, so could you text me your particular country of concern? Uh, 877-933-2484. Again, text me, you know, when I say we need to be concerned about what's happening around the world, Christians in other places, where does your heart go? Um, where where is the place in the world about which you are particularly concerned it's it it is a targeted geography for your prayers a target a place where your prayers um are lifted up and a place that really um has your heart beating hard text me 8779332484 what is your particular country of concern we're going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News and get an update on what's happening um with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a, in a handful of places. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Ruth Kramer is joining us now from Mission Network News. Thank you to each and all of you who are texting in the uh, particular country of concern that God has placed on your heart for Mary. It is missionary friends in Kenya, the Central African Republic, and Peru. For Kathy, it's Uganda, and a friend serving there with Scripture Union. For Andrew, it's Italy. For Bob, it's Latvia. For David uh, in North Dakota, it is Japan, where he lived for some time, and Nepal, because that's where his daughter-in-law is from. Jessica has Egypt on her heart because of the people she met there who are advocating for persecuted Christians, many of whom are also refugees. And Deborah, um, who has missionary friends in Nigeria. Um, What is the place in the world of particular concern to you? You could text me at 877-933-2484. Ruth, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, you have um, on your heart and mind this morning a number of places of particular concern around the world. I'm wondering if we could start with an update um, on the escalating conflict in Yemen. I wish that I could say nothing was happening in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been uh, the headlines kind of almost start feeling like they're they're the same thing over and over and over again because you've got the Houthi uh, attacks on um, U.S. allies and then you've got the U.S. military and its alliance striking back. And um, if you haven't been following the situation there, the Houthi is now considered a, a global terrorist group by the U.S. Uh, because they've thrown their hat into the ring in support of the uh, the situation with uh, Palestinians um, in the uh, Israel-Gaza war, um, which means they're backing Hamas, which means they're in alignment with Hezbollah as well, because it's uh, it's a targeted effort to eradicate Israel and um, uh, by, I guess, I guess proxy um, its supporters and allies, which would include the countries out of the West and the United States. Um, so that's the kind of the overall arching situation. There was another airstrike by the U.S. military early this morning on uh, Houthi anti-ship missiles and facilities in Iraq. Um, they were specifically targeting uh, some of the facilities that uh, the group was using to resupply. Um, the thing that is concerning here, when we spoke to a consultant to uh, Middle East ministries, um, it, it just makes – life in Yemen much harder for the average person because it was already difficult. You had uh, an, a raging cholera epidemic. It's still in place. You've got a out-of-control inflation. You have a situation where you, um, you've you been dealing with an uh, ongoing insurgency and very, very harsh persecution. Uh, and, and so ministry in Yemen has been extremely challenging. About 10 or 15 years ago, there was a situation where the Yemeni government basically kicked out all of the NGOs that were connected to a Christian network. Um, there, there was an article that was published, and somewhere along the line, someone overexposed the network that was helping in Yemen. So they were all kicked out, and they all had to find ways to come in from outside to assist the Yemeni people because of the food shortages and the near famine levels that exist in Yemen. Um, they have been working underground for a long time. And so when we talk about numbers or anything specific about the body of Christ, just know ahead of time that the people that we're talking to um, have already vetted the information and they are sharing this information with us so that we can encourage the body of Christ to be praying for the vibrant body of Christ that does exist in Yemen, although it's deeply underground. We're not exposing people um, by telling you this 
because it's already been vetted multiple levels and it's it's been screened for security. So what we're trying to tell you is to be joining us in prayer for the body of Christ that exists there. There's, according to our consultant, about 7,000 believers who mm. are living in Yemen, deeply underground, doing mm. wonderful things in the name of Christ. Um, they're uh, a distinct emergent body that are clearly Yemeni, but also identifying as Christians and practice the sacraments of the Lord's Supper, Supper and baptism. So they are true followers of Christ. Um, be praying for them. The situation in Yemen is very complex. It is very dangerous to be a follower of Christ. Uh, and there are those people who have remained in the country to uh, to continue to meet the needs because they're so um, so distinct and corruption is widespread. So, you know, anytime you're talking about um, U.S. funds that are going in to fight terrorism, the incentive, the incentive to actually win the war on terror goes down because then they realize, the government realizes that if they win the war on terror, then the money stops coming in. So how hard are they going to keep fighting to uh, to rid the country of terrorism? And then the other part of that is the the funding for um, the, the food aid. Uh, when it actually arrives, it kind of just goes through this network of top-down, and people take a little bit of it as it goes by them. So by the time you actually get to a distribution to the people, when it's coming from like federal aid or government aid or something like that, there's not a lot left. Uh, the corruption is a significant factor um, of, of, I guess, issue uh, when you're dealing with uh, how frustrating it is to try to meet the humanitarian needs here. Um, so that's where the body of Christ comes in because their network is deeper underground. They don't they bypass a lot of other things uh, on the way. So more aid gets directly to the people who actually need it. Um, I want to spend a lot of time today um, in this particular region, but I, I would love it if we could pivot ever so briefly to a completely different part of the world where we don't often talk about Christians facing persecution of any kind. Um, and that that would be, you know, Western Europe. What What is going on in Finland and why in the world could it possibly be an issue for an individual to post a verse of scripture on social media? You know, this is really an interesting situation. Uh, a member of parliament has been fighting some very, very big charges uh, because she has spoken, uh, spoken out in defense of the Bible because she's spoken out in defense of the truth. Um, it's Her name is Pavi Rasanan, and um, she has been charged uh, multiple times for things like agitation against a minority group or war crimes and crimes against humanity um, for things like uh, tweeting Romans 1, 24 through 27. Uh, she was uh, discussing something in a live radio debate. There was uh, some uh, some issue with a church pamphlet that was titled Male and Female. He created them. There's a subtitle to that. But this is dealing with homosexual relationships uh, within the understanding of Christian worldview and what the Bible says about that. And she argued against gay marriage on the basis of Christianity, on the basis of what the Bible says about that. So um, she was charged for uh, the pamphlet. She was charged for the uh, uh, the live radio debate and a tweet that she uh, 
admitted to in, I think, maybe four years after the debate. Um, so this is a situation where she has gone to court. She's been to trial on hate speech issues, and she's been acquitted twice. But the prosecutor won't let it go. So he's appealed that case. This is the most recent, uh, I guess, iteration of this particular situation within the last week or so. And uh, he has appealed it all the way up to the country's Supreme Court. So now the Supreme Court will be deciding uh, the issue of religious freedom and free speech versus hate speech and hate literature. Um, so you can see where this might actually uh, be an issue to be concerning uh, with legal precedents, the ramifications that could um, face churches who are preaching from the Bible, um, because in this situation, you could look at parts of the Bible or maybe all of the Bible uh, being banned. Um, it's a strategy that we've seen in other countries where you've got like uh, a communist ideology or a Muslim dominant country where the Bible is banned or restricted and, and Christians can't get access to the Bible. So there's concern that, that could be a, a legal precedent for this kind of activity. Um, it, the other thing is that Christians are, are being pressured to make their faith private. Um, and that's another issue that seems to fly in the face of freedom of speech and freedom of religion, which a lot of the European countries also say that they they have incorporated into uh, their constitutions. So, you know, this is an issue to be praying about. Uh, the Finland Supreme Court has not actually told us when they're going to take up that particular case. But this is something that uh, everybody is watching right now because of what it could mean uh, in Western Europe or in, in any part of what we would consider the developed uh, the developed world. Uh, Canada, not too long ago, had an issue, I think in 2016, where they were looking at parts of the Bible being uh, considered uh, hate literature. Um, that bill actually made it a couple of uh, rounds into discussion in Parliament, but uh, it didn't pass. Um, although the lawmaker behind it has indicated that he's going to try to introduce it again. So you've got Canada and you've got Finland talking about um, trying to ban parts or all of Scripture and uh, what that might mean for the rest of us. Um, be praying for the, the body of Christ in Finland. Um, they are trying to be wise about how they preach the gospel um, with a— you know, there's there's this fine line. You can't apologize for God's word, but there may be issues where somebody's looking to silence a church. Um, so, mm -hmm. how wise do you need to be? You know, and what where do you take that stand? Where's the line? Um, people that have never dealt with persecution before are going to have, find themselves having to draw a line and decide what side of it they're going to stand on. If you know somebody in your community um, who is in, at some level being persecuted for their faith, um, I want you to encourage them today. I want you to reach out to them. Certainly, let's be praying for people who live in very, very hard places and places where, you know what, life is pretty easy, but Christians are still um, under serious scrutiny. So we're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News in just a moment. You can find everything we're discussing today at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life, 
When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. What is your country of particular concern around the world? Maybe you have more than one. Jennifer's on the text line at 877-933-2484. She says, for me, the countries are Uganda and El Salvador. I sponsor several children in each of these countries, and I have um, been privileged to serve um, doing mission work in El Salvador. So thank you, Jennifer, for that contribution to the conversation. You know, God has the whole world in his hands. He cares about people in every place, places where we will never set foot, um, but where our prayers arise today in support of our brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly living in very hard places. Ruth Kramer is here with us from Mission Network News. We're talking about a range of headlines. Um, Ruth, let's return um, to the part of the country we discussed earlier. So we talked about Yemen. Not far away from Yemen is Lebanon. What uh, What is on the rise there? What concerns are rising related not just to um, potential war across the border with Israel, but civil war? Well, it's connected to the war across the border because of the situation with Hezbollah. Hezbollah and Israel have been exchanging fire along the southern border um, and because Hezbollah has thrown its hat in the ring to support Hamas. Uh, so Israel now is facing uh, attacks on both sides. Uh, well, it, it's basically surrounded by enemies, but right now it's fighting, you know, on both sides. And um, they're prioritizing, it seems, uh, the killings of Hezbollah militants inside Lebanon. So now the shelling is is going further and further into the country, which has created a second wave or a third wave now of displaced people who are trying to clear the border area. Um, and with this kind of a thing, people are scared. They're really, really scared. Um, they feel like something's going to happen to me today or tomorrow. And and this is according to our partner, Triumphant Mercy Lebanon, as they talk to people, as they've tried to meet the needs uh, that are going on. The civil war question has come up because of the presence of, of Hezbollah. Uh, Hezbollah has uh, uh, exerted a lot of influence in Lebanon already. So a lot of the politicians are, you know, following into the the Hezbollah camp. Um their presence is widely known. Um, when you go through the city, like when you land at the airport, choosing a hotel, you really want to mm. talk to people because you want to find out which areas are safer than others. You know, and for example, mm. I was trying to go find a place uh, to to meet all the partners when I was in Lebanon, and I chose a hotel not far from the uh, the airport, and was told by our partners that's a Hezbollah ter- uh, neighborhood. You don't want to be in there. So you need to be over here. And this is where we've had work with with uh, a hotel that's in a safe area. Um, and there's just these little pockets all throughout the, the country of um, hotbed activity. So you have a lot of support for Hezbollah. And on the other side, you have people who are saying, we want Hezbollah out because they're responsible for the corruption. Look what they've done to our country in the last five years. Um, and they've basically absconded with any aid that we've we've had. They run off with all of the money. We want them gone. We don't want Hezbollah in charge, and we're going to fight uh, Hezbollah dragging us into a proxy war. So that's where you have the division line. And the concern is that could de- develop into a civil war. But mm-hmm. the memory of civil war isn't really that far behind us because 1975 to 1990 was the last civil war in which 
not one family in Lebanon was unaffected. So, you know, you go in and talk to people who are in their 30s and they have memories of losing close relatives in the Civil War. And there were hard um, hard feelings because of occupation, because of situations, uh, because of what happened with the Civil War um, and, and where Syria was connected with that. And then, you know, not even, I don't know, 15 years later, you've got this massive wave of Syrian refugees coming back across the border, um, looking to Lebanon to keep them safe and to help them. And there's this really fresh memory of the civil war and what's and what part Syria played in that situation. Um, so you have all of these dynamics that are already existing and the, the feelings haven't totally healed, even though it feels like this should be a, a full generation later, there's a very fresh memory of what's happening and people are really very concerned about uh, where this might go. Andrew uh, on the text line says, what is an NGO? All right, Andrew, it's a non-governmental organization. So any organization that comes from the outside and wants to serve inside of a country, um, so mission groups, humanitarian groups, they're all called NGOs, non-governmental organizations. All right, Ruth, um, quickly, if you can, um, bring us an update on our brothers and sisters in Christ in Algeria. Well, we have been reporting a long time that the government has been shutting down churches. Uh, I think there's only eight churches now that are still allowed to be open in mm. Algeria. Um, so what we've seen is kind of what's called squeeze persecution, where the opposition and, and things like that, the pressure from the government is not all at once, but very, very, very slow. And um, what we're also seeing is that where government persecution used to be the thing for Algeria. Now it's shifting to more pressure from community, the community mm. with close family and friends. Um, the, the body of Christ is under a lot of pressure. Let's just put it that way. Um, major drivers, you know, society, extremist ideology that exists in the country, and then you've got the state authorities. Um, there are a lot of concerns because Christians are a very, very small minority in Algeria, yet they are extremely vocal. They're very, very active. They may not have a, a church building in which to meet anymore, but that doesn't stop them from continuing to connect with each other uh, online or even underground. Um, a lot of times they go outside of the country and they meet together uh, with other believers outside the country who are also considered exiles. Um, so just be praying for the church body in Algeria because it, the pressure is continuing. Um, it's not so obvious as it might be in some of the countries where you have the overt roundups, like in Iran. Um, but this is a situation where uh, the the revival of Algeria's body of Christ has begun, and uh, they are expecting to have a lot more uh, response because of that. The uh, the digital footprint of Faith Radio um, extends to well over a hundred countries around the world. And so as you are praying today, I want you to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are listening right now or will be listening later um, to Christian programming at MyFaithRadio.com or via the Faith Radio app. Um, and I just want to say thank you again to those of you who financially support this ministry. Um, you are, like even just today, having Ruth on and providing points of contact um, with our Christian brothers and sisters who are on the ground serving in really hard places, um, it should ignite our prayers. It should um, inflame our desire 
to support Christians around the world, um, particularly those living in very, very difficult places. And so today, I sort of want you to pray the map. I want you to pray the globe. Um, There are countries of particular concern that God has laid on your heart for specific reasons, and so certainly be praying for precious people in those places. But what would it look like today? What would it look like today for you to put the whole world in your hands? Like we recognize that God's got the whole world in his hands, but God also has entrusted us as stewards in this generation of this world that he has made. So what would it look like today for you to put the world in your hands as you pray to the Father above? Could that be a prayer prompt for you today? We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. You're listening to Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.